All right, blessings to you, all of my friends, near or far, wherever you are. Like I say, those of you part of the Cornerstone community, our online community, those of you who maybe even are joining us for the very first time, and if that's you, I'm Pastor Terry, lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco, and I am so thankful you are with us right now. You know, our series since we started the new year is called Healthy Love, and we are exploring how to grow in healthy love. Today, though, our focus is going to be more on this idea of combating envy and the beauty of contentment. But before we dive in, because we're going to use 1 Corinthians 13 again as our launching pad, but before we dive in, I want to pray. I want to ask God to just bless what we're about to do and share together. So, you know, pray with me right now. But Lord... We just come as best as we can before you with openness. Help us to be willing to receive the words you have for us. Not only help us to have better understanding, self-understanding, yes, of course, but also understanding of how we can love others better and what contentment looks like and why you want us to live in a settled place filled with your joy of your love, capable of blessing others. It's hard to give away peace if we're not at peace, so I ask that you would fill us with more of you. For where you are, there is peace, and there is love, and there is joy. So come, come among us, we pray, even now, in your name, Lord Jesus. All right, yeah, I want to start by reading again from the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And as we do, I, I want to have us especially be attentive to the section that's the middle part of the chapter. It's usually verses 4 through 17, 7. 4 through 7 is what describes healthy love. And when we get to that place, I want you to see the quick, tight, brush strokes. There are, as, as love is described, there are no adjectives. They're just verbs, like notes on a piano that are reminding us that love is active, not passive. That it's something that we are meant to wrestle with in our hearts and to apply, even though it's not always easy, into our relationships. Also, when we read 1 Corinthians 13, it's sometimes helpful to think of it as having three sections. That's how I often read it. The first section kind of sets the table. That's verses 1 through 3. The second section, the midsection, the section that I referred to just a few minutes ago here, 4 through 7, that describes what healthy live, love is and isn't. And then finally, it hits the conclusion of the matter if you can think of it this way, like the closing of the loop that stretches into eternity, verses 8 through 13. So these three sections, the table setting, the midsection that describes what love is and what healthy love isn't, and then the closing of the loop that reaches into eternity. With that in mind, let's read it again. Verse 1. If... The apostle says, I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. I am noisy 
a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I gave away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then the shift. Here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. Talked about that last week. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then the next shift, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And then stretching forward. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, someday will all be clear, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Whoa. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Ah, the preeminence of love. We're talking about true Christian love. As we've mentioned in the past weeks, that's agape love. It's like a spring. It's fresh. It's flowing. It's, it's just life-giving. Many waters cannot quench it. And as I alluded to earlier, if you notice in verse 4, there's this shift uh, from describing what love is, patient and kind, to what love isn't. And the first thing that's listed as it makes this shift from positive to the negative, before then it shifts back to the positive. The first thing that's noted in terms of what love isn't, or what healthy love doesn't do, doesn't act like, is envy. And it's a, it's a curious start, envy. Envy, what is envy? The Greek word that we translate here as envy is zelos which some of us might recognize as being connected to our word zeal. But it's also used for jealousy and in this place, envy. And you know what it means? It means to be heated, <laughs> to boil over, to bubble over the edge. <laughs> Carries with it the idea of seething. Imagine a pot on a stove and it's bubbling over, it's boiling over. That's the idea. You know, envy is a kind of discontent that desires or resents someone else's real or perceived uh, possessions or advantages. In that sense, it's kind of a, a two-sided coin. One side says, I want what you have. The other side is even more insidious. It says, I don't just want what you have. I don't want you to have it. In fact, that's more of his focus. I just don't want you to have it. The first is a kind of peace-destroying thing. 
because we want what someone else has. We can't be appreciative, thankful, or grateful for what we have. But the other slips into this kind of mean-spirited, it may not always be articulated, but inside there's a resentment. And that resentment, if it's not addressed, if it's not addressed properly, it can, it can bubble over into destructive behavior. And I think that's part of what, if you read another book in the, in the, in the New Testament, the book of James in the third chapter, I think it's part of what is being described. I want us to read actually from the um, NLT verses 13 through 16 and check it out because it's fa- it has a fascinating connection that I think explains a lot about what is going on in our culture and society today. See if you can connect with what I'm saying here when we read it through, especially when we get to that 16th verse. James writes, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. He's talking to believers by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom, wisdom from above. But if you are, here it is, if you are bitterly jealous, jealous, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Jealousy and selfishness, they're not God's kind of wisdom. We would say they're not God's kind of love. He says, such things are earthly, unspiritual. Yeah. And they even can be considered demonic. That's where their root comes from. Look at this. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find, look at this, disorder and evil of every kind. I can't help but think about so much of what is happening today And I get the sense that that's a part of what's happening here is that there's so much of this going around that there's a a tremendous amount of disorder and evil of every kind. You know, envy is very destructive and it brings out as the Older version of the scripture says all manner of evil. It's if, if, if envy and jealousy are allowed to ferment inside of us, what can be produced is bitterness. By the way, not just to people, but to God. Like we start, why did, why, why did you bless them, God, and not me? Why do they have that, but I don't? Why did she find someone in her life, but I, I didn't? Why not me? I love you. I, I, I've been faithful to you. You know, why didn't I get that job? Why didn't this person that I love get, get healed? Okay. We can get resentful. Why, why is my life like this? Why can't it be like hers or his? It's very easy for that to get rooted into us. And then what happens is we start to resent God. It's like, Lord, I thought you said you love me. Hmm. Some of us may remember the play that was turned into the Academy Award winning film in 19. Yeah, way back in 1984, by the way, (laughs) that was a very special year for me because it was the year that I married Cheryl. And yeah, wow, the world was so much younger back then. <laughs> Time flies. But yeah, way back in 1984, this was 
uh, the film that was considered the best film of the year, or at least it won the award for it. It was an amazing, outstanding uh, film. If you've never seen it, check it out. But the reason I'm referring to it right now is because it contains a superb illustration of envy and the damage it can do. It's based on uh, two historical figures, but then it's fictionalized. Antonio Salieri is the court musician to the King of Austria in Vienna. And when he encounters the young musical genius, Amadeus, there it is, Mozart, he is struck, floored, shocked even, by the talents that God has blessed this young genius with. Because Amadeus' music was dazzling, it was complex. He, he even called it heavenly, something Salieri knew that he, though a gifted composer and highly respected and well-loved, but Salieri knew he could never achieve the kind of art and genius that Amadeus uh, was, was literally creating almost without thinking or trying. I mean, <laughs> and then on top of that, Amadeus is immature. He's unkept. He's reckless. And though a happy fellow, he's, he's rash, he's quixotic, and by his own confession, unthinking and vulgar, right? <laughs> and what's interesting is that Salieri played brilliantly by F. Murray Abrams. Salieri, he has dedicated himself to God. And Salieri writes his music to honor God. And yet, he knows he doesn't have that special gift. And, and what he means is he knows he doesn't have that innate capacity to write masterpieces. He can write good music. Some would even call it great, but they didn't really understand, like he did, what a masterpiece could sound like. What Amadeus could do almost effortlessly. So Salieri can do excellent work and has risen to a position of great prominence and popularity. But he, as a lover of music, knows that his work is nothing that's going to last. And when comparing himself to the, the reckless boy genius, he sees himself as ordinary. And when he prays, he wonders, how could God have given such an exquisite gift to such an undeserving creature? Ha! And, and the film it does a masterful job of, of showing the damage that envy can do. In fact, there's this one memorable scene where Salieri, after witnessing Mozart's genius compared to his own comparative, his, as he sees it, mediocre talent, he sarcastically expresses his irritation and disappointment with God to God. And by the time he's done, by the time this thing plays out, 
sorry, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but by the time he's done, he destroys not only Amadeus, but also himself. All, all because of envy. The sad irony, of course, was that it was also unnecessary because there was room for both. There was no, there was, there was no need to compete. But Salieri's jealousy and envy, as is often the case when we indulge it, consumed him to such a degree that he was unable to appreciate his own blessings. And isn't that what envy does? It not only makes us unloving, <laughs> it makes us unhappy. I've heard it says, said, I've heard it said that when we envy, it's so easy to compare and despair. But hear me out. Healthy love doesn't compare because it knows no good can come from it. Because when we compare, we're either going to think more highly of ourselves, as the Bible teaches us, or which is a, a false positive, or we start to think less of ourselves. Again, the compare and despair. It just beats the life and love out of us. Instead of comparison, healthy love chooses to cultivate contentment as a dominant approach to life. I'll say that one more time. Instead of comparison, healthy love chooses to cultivate contentment as a dominant approach to life. In fact, the Bible reminds us that godliness with contentment is great gain, tremendously profitable, health-giving, and wise. It's a beautiful thing. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. Of course, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot carry anything out of it. Now, over the years, some of you, you've heard me share from time to time one of my favorite illustrations about envy and contentment. So let me just tell the story because I like, <laughs> I love, I love this little story. There was this man, there was a man, a highly respected curator of Chinese art who had come from the East to examine Asian art that had found its way to some prominent Western collectors. And he was both a, a expert of certain renown, but also a true connoisseur. He loved art. So he, both knew a lot about uh, Asian art, especially ancient Asian art, and he also loved it. I mean, genuinely loved it. And as the story goes, one day he visits, um, well, he was invited to the home of one of the richest art collectors in America to see all the magnificent examples of Chinese art in the collection. And at one point, the American collector took from his safe a one-of-a-kind crystal ball, which had belonged to one of the emperors of the Ming Dynasty. When this breathtaking piece of art was shown to the distinguished visitor, his response was, thank you, thank you. Thank you for keeping this for me. I am indebted to you for making it possible for me to enjoy such an exquisite work of art. Well, when the American 
asked what his guests meant by this statement, the man answered, Is it not true that the beauty of this crystal is just as available for me to enjoy as it is for you? Yet, I did not have to bear the expense of purchasing it or the cost of keeping it safe. So, thank you. Well, that's true, answered the American art collector. But you do not have the joy of owning it. That's such an American thing to say. <laughs> we love to own things. But the answer, why should I envy you for owning it? If it can offer you no more beauty than it offers me. Furthermore, you do not truly own it. It was in the hands of someone else before you were born, and it will be in the hands of still another when you're dead. It is for you to take care of this beautiful object while you are still alive and share its beauty with any who ask to see it. Is it not true? <laughs> is it not true that if I should come again, you would show it to me and allow me to enjoy its beauty once more? then why should I envy you for having such an exquisite piece, this amazing crystal ball? <laughs> you bear all the costs of keeping it and caring for it, and yet the joy is something that I can share as well. To which I would have said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to let you see it anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. In the end, will it really matter? I, <laughs> The things that we envy others for or about, let's not compare. Let's not despair. Let's not compete or covet or envy. There's no need. Stop it. Come on. Just let it be. Lord, help us to let it be. Healthy love lets it be. It doesn't focus on what someone else has or what we don't have and want that they have. We're not consumed, stuck there. Nah, remember, remember something my professor, when I was in seminary, taught me, Dr. Pinkham. What? He said this to me, Terry, what you won't let be, won't let you be. What we won't let be, won't let us be. William Arthur Ward said this, Blessed is he who has learned to admire but not envy, to follow, but not imitate, to praise, but not flatter, to lead, but not manipulate. Loved one, let Jesus be so alive in us that what flows out of us is healthy love. And may that healthy love be the dominant theme of our life. Help us, Lord, not to envy people, not to envy how someone looks, how much they own, how young they are, how much they've accomplished, how smart their children are. No, no, no. Instead, instead, Lord, help us to focus on our blessings and cultivate a practice of gratitude. Focus on our blessings and practice 
and cultivate a practice of gratitude. That's what we need to do. You know, giving thanks to the Lord is not only appropriate because he's given us so much life and love and salvation and grace, people in our lives, whatever, all that we have, all, every ounce of good in my life is because of God has allowed me to exist. Jesus, I can't repay God for, for Jesus and forever the gift of life. I can't repay Jesus for that. Not just to be grateful. It's such wonderful therapy for our soul. But if I can add one more thing, it's also a neutralizer of envy. That's right. Giving thanks to the Lord is not only the right thing to do, the happy thing to do, it also neutralizes envy in our lives. And if we want to go one step further and hammer in the love, not only seek to be grateful, but seek to be a blesser, a giver. Because that's what God does and, and God is love. Ah, I'm a, a, another thought to share on the backside. We're going to share a song together and that just brings this moment and allows us to sit with it and appreciate it. What we've been sharing, what gratitude and grace and love looks like. And I pray, I do want to remind everybody before I do that, this is the time that I get to do it. And I'm talking to you who are part of the community or who feel a yearning to honor God in your giving, in your, in your tithes and your offerings. But I need to say it because it's important. Remember, when it comes to giving, honoring the Lord with our first fruits, committing ourselves to a people, you can give by sending it into our offices. You can, you can give directly online. You can give through our app, the Cornerstone SF app, download it, give directly through that. That's what I do. But like I say, and I say it all the time, and I mean it before we ever give, and I pray that we would, you know, pray over that. Make sure that we first give him our heart because all of these things flow from a heart that is aligned with God. So Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your healthy love. Fill us with your, I mean, honestly, if it's your love, it's healthy. And we want that to flow out of our lives. So we just take this moment to share in this song, to worship you in our hearts, and then we'll come back around. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Here we go. I count my blessings one by one. Your goodness in my life. How could I ask for more in you? I'm satisfied. All the mountains that I send, they leave me empty time and time again. I fix my eyes on this reward.
All right, everyone. You know, we want more of his love at work in our lives, don't we? Come on. I'm thinking about Jesus, our example. He's the only one I want to imitate. I don't want to imitate others, but I want to, if I can imitate him, that, that to me would be an amazing success story. But I think about Jesus. He didn't, he didn't, well, he created the world in a sense, but he owned nothing. He owned nothing. He said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a large bank account <laughs> or any home that he owned. But he had people and a lot of love and he walked in harmony with the father. And he never told us that possessions were wrong. He never said that we couldn't save our resources. He didn't. He just said, walk with humility, walk with love. But one thing about Jesus, he envied no man. And he did even more than that. He walked around with blesseds on his lips, right? He just blessed people all over the place. May we follow in his steps. May we be more like Jesus in our words and deeds, in our confessions, our creeds. May we be more like Jesus in the way that we love. May we have more of him so that we may love more like him. Lord, that's my prayer for all of my friends, brothers and sisters. My prayer for you in every way is that you would be filled with his love, kept in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, and in your body. That's my prayer and blessing in Jesus' name.